Let's uh, bow together. Father, we so look forward to that day where we will be together uh, with you uh, in heaven. And uh, yet you have us here uh, doing your work until your son comes. And Lord, I thank you that your desire within that is to have the body built up to become more and more like your son Jesus, to be conformed to his image, Lord God, and the work that you have for us is good. And Lord, I thank you for that. And now, Lord, as we come into your word that builds us up, I pray you would do that, that we'd be ready to receive it, and we would allow you by your spirit to do what you please in our hearts and lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, have you ever uh, done a job or uh, anything where you have forgotten something that you needed? Uh, whether it's a tool or whatever it might be, you get to the job and you don't have what you need to do the job. Well, in reality, we have work to do for the Lord. And today, I believe we're going to see that not only do we have to do uh, what he desires us to do, that we have some things that we need to bring along uh, that we should have with us at all times, at all times when we are serving the Lord. And I believe we're going to see it has to do with the fact that we have enemies and we have opposition. Ultimately, Satan is our enemy. And so with that in mind, we're going to continue to look at, from the book of Nehemiah, how we can keep from being overcome by the enemy's attacks. You see, when we get attacked, it's tempting for us to give up. It's tempting for us to get frustrated. It's tempting for us to just say, forget it. And the Lord doesn't want us to do that. He wants us to endure, to persevere, to continue in his work. And so how can we keep from being overcome? Well, we're going to continue to look at how we can resist Satan's schemes. So turn your Bibles to Nehemiah chapter 4, and we are looking at verses 7 through 23. And you might remember that uh, Nehemiah happens uh, in the time of the Jews who had been exiled uh, to Babylon, but there has been uh, two returns, uh, the first one under Cyrus, the second one um, under Ezra, and now Nehemiah is returning. Uh, for the third time we have Jews coming back, which is Nehemiah and, his, and the group that's with him. And within this, we came to chapter 1, and we saw that Nehemiah was the cupbearer to the king. And that he had heard news of the rebuilding of the walls, but that things were not good, that the walls were not being rebuilt, that they were actually in shambles, and that the gates of Jerusalem were burned with fire. And he was, he, and he was concerned because the people who had gone there specifically to do that were in great distress, great distress. And so he, in chapter 1, is mourning over that and, and weeping over that, but yet praying about what the Lord would have him do. And he prays for four months, and it becomes evident that God is going to use him to be that which would come and help these Jews in the building of the walls. And as he prays, he prays for favor with the king, and he does go before the king in chapter 2. 
And the king asks him what he requests. And Nehemiah prayed to the Lord his God. He prayed. Nehemiah is a godly man. And the uh, king gave him his request to go to Jerusalem to help rebuild the walls and to uh, uh, have all the necessities that he would need to get there uh, through the provinces and also the wood and everything he would need to do it. And God graciously was upon him. His good hand was upon Nehemiah. And so we saw also in chapter 2 that as Nehemiah was coming, uh, the enemies were revealed or were, were, were introduced to Sanballat and Tobiah. And it was a great evil to them that someone would come to help the Jews. So Nehemiah finally arrives and he arrives, he's very wise, he's very prayerful, and, and, can, and he's very uh, wise in terms of what he does. He goes around the city at night, he goes around the walls inspecting things. He doesn't tell anyone so that the word won't get out. And then he brings the Jews together, those who are rebuilding, and he calls upon them to get to the work with him, to work together, to build the walls. And they agree to do so after he shares that God's good hand had been upon him, how God had worked in the heart of the king. And so with that in mind, uh, they begin to do the work. They begin to rebuild the walls. They're invited to do so, and they get to work. And then we came to chapter 3, which is really an overview of how everyone worked together under his leadership with the right heart to build the walls and repair the gates. And it's from this point, if you were to only come to chapter 3, you'd think that uh, everything was good and everything was fine, that they got it done. But actually that was an overview because from chapters 4 and on, we begin to see the process of how it was done. And specifically in chapters 4 through 6, we see the opposition mounting against the work of God through Nehemiah and those Jews who were willing to serve and build the walls and repair the gates. And so then we see them coming. We came to chapter 4 in the beginning. We saw Sanballat, Tobiah, and this Gershom the Arab uh, mocking Nehemiah, despising them and the builders, causing them to be discouraged, to be demoralized through their words. And we saw one of Satan's tactics, which is to use uh, insults, words, things like that, to demoralize God's people. And Nehemiah brought it right to the Lord and prayed. And he prayed in a way that God would take care of them righteously according to their wickedness, that God would judge them and take care of them. And it's from this point we come to uh, the point where the people have gotten back to work, and now we're going to come and see that there's still more opposition, more opposition aimed to cause them to stop working. And we're going to see how we can keep from being overcome by those temptations to stop working as we face opposition. Nehemiah 4, chapter, chapter 4, uh, verse 7 to 23. And I'm going to start with verse 7. Now it came about when Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the Ashadites uh, heard that the repair of the walls of Jerusalem went on, that the breaches began to be closed. They were very angry. And all of them conspired together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause a disturbance in it. But we prayed to our God, and because of them we set up guard against them day and night. 
here's where we're going to start as we look at our passage. And I believe we're going to see and be reminded that Satan uses people to hinder the work of God. We need to expect that to happen. He uses people to hinder the work of God. And here we have these enemies, as they will be called later on, enemies uh, being revealed again and being introduced we have here in verse 7, Sanballat and Tobiah, right? We saw them before. Uh, look back at chapter 2, verse 10. Chapter 2, verse 10. This was when uh, Nehemiah was coming. They heard that he was on his way. They didn't even know what he was going to be doing specifically, but he was going to help the Jews. And when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard about it, it was very displeasing to them. It was a great evil to them, by the way. That's a good translation. That someone had come to seek the welfare of the sons of Israel. We have these two leaders in terms of the enemies, and we're going to see them continually throughout this book as we continue on. But we've seen them already. They've already been introduced. But I'm going to just share a little bit about them, and then we'll get to our passage here. But we have Sanballat, first of all, the Horonite. Uh, and the term Sanballat, I think, in Hebrew means strength. Okay, There's other meanings for it, but I think that's what applies here. And he's a Horonite, and I believe he's not from Beth Horam, which is, e- which is Ephraim. I believe he's from Horonam, which is in Moab. And we saw that he was one who was in great authority. He was possibly the governor of Samaria. That would be north of Judah and Jerusalem. And it's, we see references to his name as being governor, but it's possible historically that that's his son. But he had great power, uh, I believe, probably as the governor of Samaria. And he is a Moabite. We also see in chapter 13 that when Elishib, the high priest, has his grandson actually sins and intermarries with one of Sanballat's daughters. Not good. Not good. We're going to see back in Ezra, but also in Nehemiah, that this intermarrying is a big problem. It's a big problem because those who don't know the Lord turn hearts away from the Lord, turn people's hearts away. So then we have this official, and he has great authority, obviously, as we see in this, in this, in this passage. Then we have Tobiah. Now, Tobiah, his name means Yahweh is my God. Tobiah, Yah, Yahweh. Um, and he is also an enemy of Nehemiah and the people and the Lord. But he is one who we've seen and will see infiltrates the Jews. He infiltrates them religiously. Later on, he's going to have a place in the temple, chapter 13, that is given to him from Elisha, the high priest. And Nehemiah is going to have to kick him out of there, okay? And this Tobiah guy, he infiltrates, and he is called Tobiah the Ammonite back in chapter 2, verse 10. And indeed, we know that the Moabites and the Ammonites were descendants of Lot's sin with his daughters when he thought the world was was done and he needed to repopulate it. And in sin, we have uh, those people who are the consummate enemies of Israel to this day. And we've looked at this passage uh, in Psalm 83, and we'll look at it again as we look and see the motivation and heart behind these enemies, what's really going on, the hatred that they have. Look at Psalm 83. Psalm 83, because we think they are our enemies, and yes, they are, practically speaking, but they are really the Lord's enemies, and therefore, if we are the Lord's, then they are our enemies. Psalm 83, verse 1, a song, a psalm of Asap, O God, do not remain quiet, 
Do not be silent, O God, do not be still. For behold, thine enemies make an uproar, and those who hate thee have exalted themselves. They make shrewd plans against thy people. We're going to see this today, by the way. They make shrewd plans against thy people, and they conspire together against thy treasured ones. They have said, Come, let us wipe them out as a nation, that the name of Israel be remembered no more. For they have conspired together with one mind against thee do they make a covenant. The tents of Edom and the Ishmaelites, Moab and the Hagrites, Gebal and Ammon and Amalek, Philistia and the inhabitants of Tyre, Assyria also has joined with them. They have become the help to the children of Lot. Selah. So we have Sanballat and Tobiah here. And yet we've got some more enemies. Back in our passage, look in uh, verse 7. We have some new enemies. Now it came about, chapter 4, verse 7, when Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, uh, the Ammonites, and the Ashdodites heard. So you've got Sanballat, Tobiah. You've got uh, the, he's the uh, Samaritan governor probably, but he is a Moabite. You've got Tobiah. He is uh, mixed in with the Jews, and he is an Ammonite. And then we have here the Arabs. And you might remember we saw Gershom the Arab with Sanballat and Tobiah earlier in this chapter. He was joined in in the mocking and all that, right? We saw that. And so we have the Arabs uh, and their enemies. And that would speak of the inhabitants of Arabia, okay? And then we also we have the Ammonites, not just Tobiah, but we got the Ammonites. Uh, and these would be the offspring of Lot's sin with his younger daughter, and they are Tobiah's people, okay? And these Ammonites lived in a region east of Samaria, okay? And that was east of the Jordan River, and they, so they were northeast of Judah and Jerusalem. And then we have, and, and by the way, the Arabs were south of Judah and Jerusalem. And then we have the Ashdodites. This would be Philistines from the area or town of Ashdod, and you might remember that these are the relatives of the, the dudes, the bad guys, who took the ark and brought it into the house of Dagon. You know that story, right? <laughs> you know that true story. First uh, Samuel 5. We know that God took care of them, didn't he? He sure did. He sure did. You can read about that in First Samuel 5. And obviously you've got Sanballat aligned with the Moabites. They're just across the Dead Sea uh, to the east of Jerusalem, and he's probably the governor. You got Tobiah, you got the Arabs, you got the Ashdites. They're actually surrounded, by the way. This surrounds Judah and Jerusalem, by the way. It's a full circle around them. And so notice what happens when the enemies of Judah and Jerusalem hear what's going on. Back in our passage. Now it came about when Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the Ashdodites heard that the repairs of the walls of Jerusalem went on and that the breaches began to be closed, they became very angry. They burned literally with much anger. They burned with much anger. You know, we're not immune to those emotions. If you've ever been angry, you understand what that is. Now, this is a wicked anger, and we know that the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God, and we know that we as believers are to be angry, but sin not, not even let the sun go down on our irritation. But here, they are angry. They are hot. They are extremely angry. This whole group that surrounds, when they hear that the walls are continuing to be repaired and that the breaches are actually beginning to be closed. 
Now you might remember how Satan used Sanballat and Tobiah back in chapter 4, a little earlier in 1 through 3, to mock and to despise the Jews, to demoralize the builders. And so they probably thought, hey, it's going to work. They're going to give up. Now they've heard it didn't work. It didn't work. And they're really mad. And they're really mad. So then, (coughs) we also need to remember that our battle is not against flesh and blood. Yes, there are physical enemies coming against them as we see them. These people, this whole group of people that encircle them. But our battle is against Satan. We know that. And therefore, we need to stand firm in the Lord and the strength of his mind. We're going to see Nehemiah does that uh, virtue, by, by virtue of how he responds. He does do what we see in Ephesians chapter 6, as we'll say. So then, we know that our battle is not against flesh and blood, but yet they're coming against us and then coming against them here, as we see in our passage. So then, they were very angry. And then look here at verse uh, verse verse 8. All, and all of them conspired together. That's all the enemies that surround them, by the way. This is not a few guys. This is a lot of people, okay? Conspired together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause a disturbance in it. They're no longer just mocking. They're wanting to come fight. They're going to come fight against them. They don't want to cause a disturbance or confusion Certainly, they want to stop the work. That's their goal, as we'll see. They want to stop the work. They want to come against Jerusalem as a whole and cause a disturbance, confusion. And notice, we're going to see what they plan to do in verse 11. Go down to verse 11, because they're planning a sneak attack, and they want to wipe them out. Look at verse 11. And our enemies said they will not know or see us when we come among them and and kill them. And put a stop to the work. They want to come and do a sneak attack and kill them and stop the work. And it came about when the Jews who lived near them came and told us ten times, they will come against us from every place where you may turn. The plan is surround them, come and kill them, and stop the work. This is more than just saying, uh, look at that wall, it's shabby. If a fox jumps on it, it'll fall down. It has gotten a little more intense now. Okay, They're actually coming out to get them, to destroy them. And by the way, we gain a picture here because we think of Satan as someone who's just going to get a little mocking here and there. He wants to devour us. He wants to destroy us. Folks, it doesn't stop when he doesn't get his way. He is our consummate enemy, and he will soon be crushed at our feet. We see that in Romans chapter 16, but he is our enemy, and we better fight with the, with the weapons that God has for us, not with our own wisdom and strength, but for those weapons which are uh, for the destruction of the forces and evil uh, uh, things that Satan rules and reigns over. So then... Their goal is ultimately, end of verse 11, to stop the work. That's God's goal. That's not God's goal. That is God's goal is for us to do the work. It is Satan's goal to stop the work. He will do anything to stop the work of Christ in our lives, in all the spheres that we are to serve him. We're to serve him heartily uh, and not to men when we do our work at work. We're to, we're to raise our children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Uh, we're to serve one another in the body of Christ. In all these spheres, everywhere, Satan wants to stop the work. Stop the work. Now, he'll use people to do that. 
uh, to say things that cause us to be scared or, or discouraged or demoralized, but then he may use outright attacks to cause us to stop, to stop, okay? And we're seeing that in this picture, picture here. You know, the Lord Jesus made it clear, uh, if the world hates you, John 15, 18, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you're not of the world, because I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word which I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. Remember, they hate the Lord, but we're the Lord, so they hate us. Right? We see that. So then, Satan's desire is to put a stop to the work using his cronies under his domain, held captive to do his will, and God's desire is for us to persevere. So what does Nehemiah do about this? Look at what happens. Look at what happens. And all of them conspired, verse 8, together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause a disturbance in it. So what does Nehemiah do? Verse 9, but we prayed to our God. Isn't that great? That's what he did. We prayed to our God, and because of them, we set up a guard against them and day, day and night. Now, uh, because of the second half of this verse here speaks of setting up a guard against them day and night, I believe this verse is a summary of what happens from this point on. Because the rest of it is how they heard about it, the threats that were coming, which they hadn't heard about yet. We're going to see it was a sneak attack. They hadn't heard about it till a little later on, as we'll see. But here, Nehemiah is saying, in, in, in summary, this is what they're doing. They're coming against us. So we prayed and we set up a guard. And I believe that's what the rest of the passage is about. So it would be woefully wrong for us to not see the rest of the passage in the context of prayer, by the way, because that's what's going on here. And then the rest is setting up that guard. As we'll see day and night, how they did it, okay, how they did it. So then, uh, they knew they were coming, so they prayed and set up a guard. We prayed to our God. This is where we need to be, because the battle is not against flesh and blood. Our battle is against Satan and his evil forces of wickedness, uh, right? And so then, uh, Nehemiah has exhibited throughout this book the priority of prayer. Remember his prayer in chapter 1, right? And his prayer in chapter 2 before the king, right? And here we see his prayer earlier. Take a look at verse 4. Hear, O God, how we are despised. Return their reproach on their heart, on their heads, and give them up for plunder in the land of captivity. Do not forgive their iniquity, and let not their sin be blotted out before thee, for they have demoralized the builders. The first thing Nehemiah does is pray. And so often when we are attacked, the first thing we do is figure out how we're going to defend ourselves or whatever it might be. And the first thing we need to do is pray. Then we set up that defense in the context of how God would fight for us and defend us. We need to be praying. We need to be on our knees. Uh, this is so crucial. If you don't catch anything else from this, we need to catch this. He says, but we prayed to 
our God. He is our God. He's our God because we are his people. Because we, through faith in Jesus Christ, have been delivered from darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. We are his people. We were once not a people, but by his mercy, through Christ, we have become his people. So we prayed to our God, we see here, and we need to do that. We saw this last week in Second Chronicles 20 with uh, uh, Jehoshaphat, uh, when all everyone was coming against them, right? We saw that, and he, he prays. He gathers the people to seek the Lord and praise. We are powerless against this multitude, nor do we know what to do, but our eyes are on thee. Our eyes are on thee. We prayed to our God. And also, if you think about the full armor of God, you, we would be woefully incorrect to not see prayer as part of that. Turn to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. I'm not going to read the whole part, but I want to show you how prayer is integrally connected to being protected from our enemy, Satan, and thus his cronies and those who are held captive by their own desires to do his will. Ephesians chapter 6, 13. Therefore, take up the full armor of God that you may be able to resist in the evil day. There's going to be evil days, and guess what? It's the evil day for, for Nehemiah and them right there, okay? that you may be able to resist in the evil day, having done everything to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. They're all in a tense that says it's already done, but it still affects you. You, you, are, you are saturated in the truth. It is what holds everything together. You are righteous because of Jesus Christ. You are walking in the context of peace that's brought forth through the gospel. And then he says here, in addition, taking up the shield of faith by which you'll be able to extinguish all the flaming missiles of the evil one, take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And notice this, verse 18, with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit, and with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. We need to be praying for one another's protection. Nehemiah says, but we prayed to our God. We prayed to our God. You know, the Apostle Paul exhibited a humility also in praying for protection from enemies. We've seen this before in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 1. I'll read it for you. Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may spread rapidly and be glorified, just as it did also with you, and that we may, that's Paul and his companions, be delivered from perverse and evil men, for not all have faith. Paul's saying, pray for us that we be delivered. You think, Paul, the great apostle, oh, God will take care of me. No, no need to, I don't need your prayer. God's going to take care of me. No, pray for us that we would be delivered. Pray we'd be delivered. But the Lord is faithful, and he will strengthen and protect you from the evil one. Prayer. But we prayed to our God. We tend to shake and shimmy and worry about everything and fret rather than praying to our God. First thing they did, and we need to see that because that, you're going to see all the preparation that they do in the rest of the chapter, but it is centered around this that they prayed. And we'll see that that comes out in their actions. They prayed to our God. Even Jesus, I do not ask that they take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. Even Jesus praying for us, John 17, 15. So then, when difficulty comes, may we be like them. May we pray to our God. 
When slander and opposition come, may we pray to our God. Uh, when direct conflicts comes, may we pray to our God. And notice, he ends, he ends up summarizing what they did. But we pray to our God, and because of them, we set up a guard against them day and night. Hey, there's some practical realities of faith, as we're going to see. There's some practical realities of faith. Because of them, because of the threat, we set up a guard day and night. We need to learn a lesson. We need to pray, and we need to, as we will see, be on guard. Pray and be on guard. If you don't get anything else, that's it. Pray and be on guard. We're going to see you're going to need to hold your sword with you all the time. We need to have the word of God to protect us from the attacks. We need to be working and protect, being protected. Okay, so again, I told you, as I mentioned, that everything else here, I believe, is going to be about this portion where he says, and we set up a guard against them day and night. He's going to talk about how they got to that point, and then he's going to show the guard that they set up against them, okay? And it's going to be helpful to us. So how can we keep from being overcome by Satan's attacks? First of all, we need to pray. We need to pray. We need to pray. Secondly, we need to not fear what we hear. Okay, you're going to hear stuff, you're going to hear things, and we are tempted. Oh, man, I'm hearing what they're going to do. Oh, no, we are all tempted that way. I've fallen in that. You hear what someone's going to do. Ah, you know, we need, to, we need to pray, but then we need to not fear what, they're, what we hear, but we need to remember the Lord. He is great and awesome, and then we need to fight and work. Fight and work. Look at verse, um, verse 10. Thus... In Judah, it was said, now we're going to talk about that because Judah's not Jerusalem. Judah is the province around them. And by the way, we're going to see that there were those who were directly working on the wall and there were Jews in Judah who identified with it. Hey, we're all for that, but they weren't really working on it. And yet within that, there were those who were kind of aligning themselves with Tobiah and other people, even though they'd kind of say they were with the deal in Jerusalem, okay? We're going to see that, okay? And so there's all sorts of things going on, and it really does help us understand how things happen in the body of Christ and other places when we're attacked. Thus in Judah, now uh, this term thus here, all your other translations have and or when or whatever it might be, and the NESB has put thus in there, and I believe that's a good translation. A lot of these vav consecutives, which are just ands in Hebrew, and, 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 they can be translated when or so or and or thus, here, I believe they're translating it rightly because Nehemiah has given a summary statement. We prayed and we set up a guard. Thus, here's what happened. Okay? I think that's what's going on. Thus, in Judah, it was said, the strength of the builders, the burden bearers is failing. Yet there is much rubbish and we ourselves are unable to rebuild the wall. And our enemies said, they will not know or see us until we come and among them, kill them and put a stop to the work. And it came about when the Jews who lived near them came and told us ten times, they will come up against us from every place from where you, where you may turn. Then I stationed men in the lowest parts of the, of the space behind the wall, uh, the exposed places, and I stationed uh, the people in families with their swords, spears, and bows. When I saw their fear, I rose and spoke to the nobles, uh, to the officials, and to the rest of the people, that's that's a good order of the people that he identifies as those who are actually doing the work there, okay? And he says here, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord uh, who is great and awesome. 
and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. And it happened when our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had frustrated their plan. Then all of us returned to the wall, each one of one to his work. And so again, I believe this is now speaking of the process of what's happening, how he, how he brought a guard day and night, but how they did it and how they trusted the Lord in the midst of this. Notice you have, first of all, the word on the street. This is what people are hearing, right? You know that term, the word on the street is what, right? You hear that. Look at verse 10. Thus it was said in Judah, the strength of the burden bearers is failing, yet there is much rubbish, and we ourselves are unable to rebuild the wall. And then the enemies speak, right? So you've got two people saying. You've got the people in Judah saying. You've got the enemies saying. They're going to have Nehemiah saying, okay? You're going to have what's being said here. Notice, first of all, I believe the enemies within are spreading falsehood. And I believe this has worked to the point that has caused them to initially stop working. Okay, because later on, uh, it's going to talk about that they returned, verse 15, and it happened when our enemies heard that it was known that God had frustrated their plan, then all of us returned uh, to the wall, each one to his work. So I think initially they got fearful, and they actually stopped working, okay? And now Nehemiah is talking about what he did to come in here to, uh, in the context of we prayed to our God. And so here we have the word on the street, and I believe these are enemies within spreading falsehood. Thus, in Judah, it was said, the strength of the burden bearers is failing, yet there is much rubbish, and we ourselves are unable to do the wall. These guys aren't even the ones working on it. They support it, but they're identifying with it, but they're saying, hey, the strength of the burden bearers, they're carrying the rocks. It's failing. It's failing, and there's too much rubbish. Too much rubbish. You know, well, wait a second. Nehemiah was saying our God's certainly going to help us do this, right? Well, this is not from God. This is the word on the street in Judah. And I believe uh, God was using those in Judah, or God wasn't, Satan was using those in Judah uh, who were aligned with Tobiah, as we will see, to actually discourage uh, the people. How can I say that? Look at chapter 6, verse 17. Now, they would identify with the builders, but they weren't helping, but they would identify with them, but yet they were discouraging them. Nehemiah 6, uh, verse um, 17. 6, verse 17. Also in those days, many letters went out from the nobles of Judah, know that, Judah, okay, uh, to Tobiah and Tobiah's letters to them. For many in Judah were bound by oath to him. He's a bad guy. Right? Because he was the son-in-law of Shechaniah. Ah, he, in, he got in through marriage. He's playing the part of being a Jew, right? The Lord is my, uh, God is my, my, uh, my God, right? The Lord is my God. The son of Ara, the son of, of Jehaniah had married the daughter of Meshulam and the son of Berechiah. Moreover, listen to this. They were speaking about his good deeds. Oh, these are the guys in Judah. Tobiah is a good guy. All his good deeds, right? And then it's this. And good deeds in my presence. Okay, that's Satan doing that, by the way. And reported my words to him. These guys are not good. These guys are not good. So there are those in Judah who would identify with the work, but they were actually undermining the work, okay? They were undermining it. And 
And we see that here. We see that here. And so then uh, we have this this here. And by the way, um, because of his sneaking in there, they respected him. They spoke of his good deeds, and they were reporting and saying what he was doing. And folks, uh, obviously he had manipulated them. He had manipulated them. So back in our passage, thus it was said in Judah, and I believe it's coming from this group, basically. The strength, verse 10, of the burden bearers is failing, yet there's much rubbish. And we ourselves are unable to rebuild the wall. It's too much. It's too much. Oh, no. So then these Jews that identify with them rebuilding are saying, strength's failing, too much rubbish, and we can't do it. Is this not what happens in the church? Uh, with brothers and sisters who are manipulated by the Tobias, those false brethren, and they are continually sharing their good deeds and then reporting what the people that are right are saying. Boy, did we have that happen in our in our church, right? We had that. We had an evil man in our body years ago who won over many people and spoke, and they spoke of his good deeds, and they reported my words to to him. You know, boy, it's exactly like that. I'm so thankful going through Nehemiah because Nehemiah is so encouraging. Uh, when you go through discouraging times, you look and go, wait a second, this is encouraging because God is on our side and God is a good God. And so here, you will have deceived brothers and those who are manipulated by evil men and women trying to discourage you within your family, maybe within your church, when they're trying to discourage you from the work, from the work of God. Right? Don't go with it. Don't believe it. Don't buy into it. As we're going to see, uh, get back to work. Our God will fight for us. Okay? Get back to work. So, notice we have the enemies within saying those things, but now we have the enemies without. Verse 11, and our enemies, flat out, said they will not know or see us until we come among them and kill them and put a stop to the work. Uh, this is uh, everyone spoken of... Uh, earlier uh they this is the whole group that will encircle them it is uh tobiah sandbell it's the arabs it's the it's the uh it's the um it's uh, all those guys right and the uh and the ashadites and the amorites and they're going to encircle it's all those guys okay so notice what happens serious stuff the word gets back the word of the sneak attack gets back look at verse 12 and it came about when the Jews who lived near them came and told us ten times. This is pretty important. Told them ten times, over and over again. You know, right? You know, sometimes when your wife tells you something ten times, it might be important, right? <laughs> right? This is ten times here, right? Ten times. And what is it? They will come up against us, they identify with you, with, the, with them, from every place where you may turn. We're going to be encircled. And we're going to be slaughtered. The word got back. And we're going to see God allowed that to happen. God is the one who frustrated their plans. They prayed to God. And God was frustrating the bad guy's plans. So they said it ten times. They said it ten times. You're surrounded. Arabs from the south, Ammonites from the east, Ashdodites from the west, Sambal from the north. They're going to surround you. They're going to surround you. They're going to kill you. They're going to kill you. But what was Nehemiah's response? Remember the basic response earlier. But we prayed to our God and we set up guard against them day and night. That's the response, right? And then look at how he does that. Verse 13. Then I stationed men in the lower parts of the space behind the wall. The exposed places. Really wise. Let's, let's put people in the gaps, right? 
And I station people in families. It was wise. Have them together. Keep them together uh, with their swords, spears, and bows. He stations them in vulnerable places, and he stations them with their families. He's a good, godly leader. He prayed, but he didn't stop there. He prayed, and then he set up defense. He set up defense. And then notice what happens, verse 14. He's not only a wise leader who trusts the Lord, he's also an observant leader. Notice what he says, verse 14. When I saw their fear, I rose and spoke to the nobles, to the officials, or the officials and the rest of the people. These people were fearing. I think we'd be fearful too. I think there's a valid fear in this. They're coming to kill you. Everyone, they're going to surround us and they're going to kill us. Okay? He says, when I saw their fear, um, and notice what he says, middle of verse 14, do not be afraid of them. Don't fear. Do not be afraid of them. And then here's what's so important. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. We need to know that. Don't fear your enemies who are coming at you to kill you, but remember the Lord who is great and awesome. Nehemiah believes what he is saying, by the way. Nehemiah is not some spiritual pep talk artist peddling spiritual leadership to get the people to follow him. He's not doing that because remember uh, what he prayed back earlier. Uh, In chapter 1, and I said, I beseech the Lord of God of heaven, the great and awesome God. Chapter 1, that was just his personal prayer. He believes it. He believes it. Now, this term great, gadol in Hebrew, uh, means just that, great. And then the term awesome comes from the Hebrew word yare, which means to fear. And it speaks of a terrifying awesomeness. He is great and terrifyingly awesome. Remember your God. He is great and terrifyingly awesome. And this would cause one to fear or revere him. Don't fear Those are coming at you, but remember the Lord your God. That's what we need to do. Now, Nehemiah did that the first thing he did. We prayed to our God right away, right? That's what we need to do. He is great and awesome. And I read part of this earlier. This would be reminding these Jews of what Moses had shared concerning what God had done for them with the Egyptians and what he would do for them in the land. Same words. Deuteronomy, let's turn back there, Deuteronomy chapter 7. we got to remember that too. We have a great and awesomely terrifying God. We have a great God, an awesome God. <coughs> Deuteronomy 7. Deuteronomy 7, verse 17. If you should say in your heart, these nations are greater than I, how can we dispossess them? That's the problem. We go look at the enemy. They're way bigger than us. We're not going to be able to do it. We're going to die. We're going to die, right? Um, It says here, you shall not be afraid of them. You shall well remember what the Lord your God did to Pharaoh and to all Egypt. The great trials of which your eyes saw and the signs and the wonders and and the mighty hand and the outstretched arm by which the Lord your God brought you, brought you out. So shall the Lord your God do to all the peoples of whom you are afraid. Moreover, the Lord your God shall send hornet against them until they are left and hide themselves from, uh, from you, you, you perish. You shall not dread them, for the Lord your God is in your midst, a great 
an awesome God. Don't fear them. He's great and awesome. Don't fear the enemies that are destroying, trying to destroy you at work and your marriage and whatever it might be as Satan uses people. Don't fear them. You have a great and awesome God. You have a great and awesome God. Go up a little farther. Deuteronomy um, chapter 10, verse 20. You shall fear the Lord your God. You shall serve him and cling to him, and you shall swear by his name. He is your praise. He is your God who has done these great and awesome things for you which your eyes have seen. Your fathers went down to Egypt, 70 persons in all, and now the Lord your God has made you a numerous, as numerous as the stars of heaven. Hey, he fulfilled his promises. He's a great and awesome God. And I read this uh, earlier in our service, Psalm 99. The Lord reigns. The peoples tremble. He is enthroned above the cherubim. Let the earth shake. The Lord is great in Zion. He is exalted above the, all the peoples. Let them praise thy great and awesome name, holy is he. Yes, don't fear them, but remember the Lord, your God, who is great and awesome. What a leader. What a great guy, Nehemiah is. And he believes it. He believes it. Remember, great and awesome God. Wonderful, wonderful. But notice, he doesn't just say that alone. And let's just sit and, and not do anything. Nehemiah's faith works, by the way. He trusts the Lord. His faith works. Uh, remember the Lord your God is great and awesome. And then what? And back in chapter uh, 4, verse 14, middle of the verse, and fight. And fight. Fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, your, ho- your houses. Folks, we need to remember our God is great and awesome. And we need to fight the good fight of faith. We need to stand firm in the Lord. We need to trust him with all our heart. We need to have our swords ready, believing the truth of God's word. It is sharper than a two-edged sword, able to pierce the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. And notice what he says here. Fight, fight, and fight. You know, he's calling them in the context not to do it, pull up their bootstraps, not to go out and, and you're greater than they are. Not at all. It's in the context of God being great and awesome. It's in the context of faith. It's the context of faith. You see, and notice what he says here. And actually, look down to verse 20, because it is in the context of faith. And wherever place you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally there, our God will fight for us. He's saying fight, but he's saying fight because God's going to fight for you, right? He's going to fight the battle. The battle is not yours, but the Lord's, right? But we have to step out in faith and do what God calls us to do in our marriages, at work, at church. We need to step out in faith and do what he calls us to do. And so here, and it happened when our enemies, verse 15, heard that it was known to us that God had frustrated their plans. See, Nehemiah says that's how it happened, that God had frustrated their plans Then all of us returned to the wall, each one to his work. God did fight for them. He frustrated their plans. And the enemies found out, and they gave up, at least for this point. They gave up on their sneak attack, folks. Some of you need to return to the wall. You need to get back to the work that God has called you. You stopped because you were afraid. Maybe it's with your kids or work or marriage or whatever it might be. You stopped doing what was right. Maybe it's at church. You stopped. You were afraid. Get back to work. You have a great and awesome God. Step out in faith, and he will fight for you. 
So then, how can we keep from being overcome and discouraged, demoralized by Satan's attacks through people, through his servants? Well, first of all, we need to pray. Pray to our God. Secondly, we need to not fear what we hear, but we need to remember the Lord, our God, who is great and awesome, and we need to get to work. We need to fight and get to work. And then lastly, notice we need to do our work with our weapons ready. With our weapons ready. I mentioned it when we're starting this message that so often we forget things. You go to a job, you don't have something with you. You know, we need to not forget this. We end up forget. We 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 go out like uh, you know the the kid on, on the beach in the middle of the war, not realizing what's going on. We need to know there is a war going on. We need to be equipped. We need to know and have what we need for the battle. So we need to do the Lord's work with the weapons ready, trusting Him to fight for us. Look at verse six, verse eighteen or sixteen. And it came about from that day on. Now remember, he's explaining what happened. Now he's saying from that day on. What day is that? The day on from when they got the plans of the bad guys were foiled and they got back to work because God fought for them. This is what they did from that day on. He says, they set, he's talking about how they set up a guard against their enemies day and night. And it came about from that day on that half of my servants carried on the work while half of them held spears, the spears, the shields, the bows, and the breastplates and the captains were behind the whole house of Judah. You might remember in chapter 2 that by the Lord's good hand upon Nehemiah, the king sent with him officers of the army and horsemen. Nehemiah chapter 2. And I believe when Nehemiah is speaking of his servants here, that's who he's speaking of. And I believe they're joining in and they're ready to help. And notice they've got all the equipment, by the way. They've got all the stuff. When half of them carried on the work, the other half had spears, shields, both breastplates, and the captains, this is an army deal, right, were behind the whole house of Judah. Nehemiah is using his military guard, and they're willing to do it, obviously, to help him and the Jews. Remember, he set up a guard against the bad guys day and night. That's what we saw back in verse 9. So here you have, and then notice verse 17, those who were rebuilding the wall and those who carried burdens, different classes. You've got people who are working on it. You've got people who are carrying rocks. You know, they're carrying the burdens. You've got different classes of people helping out there. And what did they do? Carried burdens with their load in one hand doing the work and the other hand holding a weapon, holding a weapon. I believe so often we just let the sword of the word go down and we don't think about it. We don't think about God's word. We don't use it in our hearts and minds to protect us from the onslaught of our enemy, Satan. We just set it aside and we think we're fine and we're not until we get decimated. Satan seeks someone to devour. We've got to be on the alert. We need to be trusting the Lord, the shield of faith and the sword of the word. So then... He says here, and those building the wall carried burdens, took their load with one hand doing the work and the other hand uh, holding the weapon. This is where that term, the sword and the trowel, came from, okay? You got the sword and the trowel. And as for the builders, each one wore his sword girded at his side as he built, while the trumpeter stood near me. This is how we need to carry out the work of the Lord. This is how we need to carry out what he has us do. We need to be prepared for battle. We're going to be attacked we need to be ready for those thoughts that cross our bow. In a sense, with the word of God holding every thought captive, we need to be careful. We need to be about his work with our swords in our hands. 
We have enemies. We have Satan as our enemy and all his cohorts. He's going to use people. We're getting attacked. Those thoughts come flying by. And we are just sitting there with not thinking anything about God's word or his greatness or awesomeness, and we're getting decimated. May it not be us. May we be ready. May we be ready. May we have our swords ready at hand as we serve the Lord. We need to work with our weapons ready because then God will fight for us. Then God will fight for us. Notice what he says here. And I said, verse 19, to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, the work is great and extensive, and we are separated on the wall far from one another. At whatever place you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there, and our, our God will fight for us. Very wise. Hey, we're spread apart here. We're spread apart. Uh, listen for the trumpet. And when you hear it, rally together. And folks, we need to be working together while the Lord fights for us. We get isolated on our own and we are in trouble. We need to be working together uh, so that we can rally together as we are attacked and we can allow God thus to fight our battles for us rather than we uh, being decimated by Satan and his attacks. And he understands the battle is not uh, is not ours but the Lord's. And whatever place you hear the sound of the trumpet, verse 20, Rally to us there. Our God will fight for us. That's faith. We trust him. It's the bottom line. So two great principles. One, if we're isolated, we're vulnerable to Satan's attacks. Uh, just look at nature. You've got uh, the little caps or whatever they are that are getting away from the, the herd and they're stiff in bushes, you know, and then you've got the lion coming and he's going to get them. They're isolated, right? We need to be with the body of Christ. We need to be functioning with the body of Christ. But also... Also, and to trust that the Lord will fight for us. We saw this in Second Chronicles 20. In Second Chronicles 20, uh, then in the midst of the assembly, the spirit of the Lord came upon Jaziel. This is Second Chronicles 20, and he goes and says in verse 17, "You need not fight this battle. Station yourselves, stand, and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not fear or be dismayed. Tomorrow, go out and face them, for the Lord is with you." God will fight the battle for us. We need to be praying and preparing and trusting the Lord to fight for us. What can we learn from this? Never put your weapon down. Never put your weapon down. Don't let your shield go down. Trust the Lord. Don't uh, let the word go over that way. Have the word in your heart. Meditate on it day and night. It's, it's your weapon. It's protection for you. It's protection you know, when we are getting the onslaught of Satan in our, in our thoughts, and if we don't bring forth the word of God and the truth of God like Jesus did when he was tempted, uh, we're going to fall. We're going to fall. We need to serve the Lord with our weapons ready. Never put them down. Trust the Lord. Trust the Lord. So how can we keep from being overcome, discouraged, demoralized by Satan's attacks through his servants? How can we keep from giving up on the work of God? First of all, we need to uh, pray. We need to pray. Knowing we have enemies, knowing we have opposition, and we need to pray. We're going to have opposition. And secondly, we need not fear of what we hear, but remember the Lord our God who is great and awesome. And lastly, we need to fight and work because God is on our side. And don't Set your swords down. 
Notice here in this passage, they had it. They had their swords. They had them throughout. They, they continued to have them by them all throughout. They didn't let them go. And at the end, notice they, they were sleeping uh, with their swords. You know, you find this portion. I want to make sure I don't miss that last portion here. Hold on for just a second. I want to read this part in my Bible. Somehow my notes got cut off on the end here. I don't want to miss this. Look at verse 21. So we labored in the work, and half of the men held their spears from daybreak until the stars appeared. At the same time, I also said to the people, let us each man and his servants stay at night in Jerusalem, that they may be our guard by night and working party by day. So neither I nor my brethren, my servants, nor the men of the guard who followed me took off their clothes, except that everyone took them off for washing. They were willing to stay there and sleep at night, do whatever they needed to do to get the work done, and to be on guard against the enemy. And Nehemiah was doing that right in the midst of them, day and night. Don't put your sword down at night. Don't put your sword down. Be running God's word through your heart so that you are not taken captive, that you are not decimated by Satan and his schemes. So with that in mind, maybe some of you have been decimated. Maybe you have not kept your sword with you. You haven't been focusing on the Lord and his word. And you've been struggling. Uh, You've been attacked and the sword's nowhere to be found. You need to confess. Grab your sword. Get back to work. The battle's hard, but it's not yours. It's the Lord's. Trust the Lord. Yes, it's fearful, but we have a great and awesome God. We have a great and awesome God. Folks, we need to pray, and we need to be on watch. We need to pray, and we need to be on watch. Whether it's raising your kids in a godly manner, tempted to give up. Marriage. Godly manner, tempted to give up. Uh, work, tempted to give up. You're doing it hardly on the Lord, tempted to give up. Whether it's the church and the body of Christ, do not fear. But remember the Lord who is great and awesome. and He'll, He will fight for you. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I do thank you and praise you so much for your truth and what we've seen today, that you are faithful. Lord, and forgive us when we do not remember you. Forgive us when we fear and don't turn to you, Lord God. Help us to be those who learn from this, which is written for our instruction and whom the end of the ages have come. Help us to be prepared. Help us to be about your work. Help us when we are opposed to pray right away and then to be on guard, Lord God, to be trusting you that you will fight for us. Lord, thank you so much for the example of Nehemiah, your servant, May we, because of your spirit, may we be like him and these Jews. In Jesus' name, amen. And let's uh, sing together, John, it is well, okay?